and welcome to the OTP, the one true podcast for fan fiction readers, writers, and lovers. I'm your host and mod, Enthusiasm Girl. Our episode today is actually one of my favorites that we've recorded so far. I'm joined by our regular contributors, Marmalita and Alex, and we get into the stigma surrounding RPF, which is of course short for Real Person Fiction. RPF is something that some in fandom really, really love, but that others have very strong opinions about. In fact, RPF is one of the genres of fanfiction on fanfiction.net's band list, and simultaneously is one of the most popular genres of fanfiction written on Wattpad, which tells you exactly how divided fandom really is on it. So we get into that a little bit, we talk about why it's stigmatized, we break down what exactly RPF is and why people like it, we talk about all the different subgenres within RPF that exist, and about how those real people that the fiction is about might interact with it. Now forgive us if we do get a little bit dirty and filthy. Uh, this is obviously a fan fiction podcast. We talk a bit about explicit RPF and about the strangeness of imagining two real people in pornographic situations. Other than that, this week is fairly tame, but I do feel like if you've heard the show before, it's probably obvious, but it's best not listen to when there are small children around. Other than that, uh, please come with me on a journey where I learn a little more about RPF fandom and why it's maybe not as squicky as those on the outside might think. Alex and Lita with me, and we're going to be talking about real person fiction. Um, this is one I've been looking forward to for a long time, because it's going to be kind of really interesting. There's some very divisive opinions about RPF in the world. And I know that both of you are fans of RPF. Yes? Yes. Oh, yeah, I am. Now I am. <laughs> I used to not be. <laughs> okay. um, so we'll, we'll get into it. That's good, because you can come at it from both perspectives, right? Because yeah. there are some people who really, really don't understand RPF. Yes. Um, but first off, let's define it and say kind of what it is. Um, the most basic definition is exactly what it says in the tin. Uh, real person fiction is fiction written about real people. But Lita, do you want to go into a little more depth on that definition, or is that basically it? I mean, that's the gist of it, but I think really what RPF really is, is it's fiction written about the public personas of real people. So not necessarily the actual real people themselves, but the way that they have been presented to the public. A good example is people who are on reality TV shows, that the way they act on reality TV may not really be what they're really like in person. It's been cut and edited and so on so that it's a, a public persona and that's what the fiction is actually written about yeah that's a good point to make right because you have to keep in mind that when someone is a celebrity what you're really seeing is publicist crafted to a degree I mean, right. we live in the age of twitter and tumblr where people can kind of put themselves out there more but you are looking at like larger than life characters who are making a living based on a persona that is to some degree manufactured to publicly be what they want, right? Uh, right. There's a really fascinating podcast that I enjoy called You Must Remember This, and I will shout them out, but it's an old Hollywood podcast where they basically tell stories of uh, Hollywood celebrities in kind of the silent era up into the golden age in the 50s and 60s. And a huge chunk of what they talk about on that show is how controlled those personas were for a long time. I mean, you're talking about completely manufactured romances between celebrities who never met and just real crafting of something so that people would believe in a kind of a dream that in no way resembled the person. So it's interesting mm -hmm. to think about that in the context of RPF. Alex, what do you think about that? I was researching for this topic and there is one quote that really kind of jumped out at me and it says fictional stories relating to the lives of the famous so it's not necessarily them specifically but it's that whole character and persona and the lifestyle of of famous people is there anything that you think people get confused about that rpf is not 
RPF is not intended to be shared with the people it's about. That's probably the one thing that I think people think some people think that it is and it's really not. Yeah, that's an important distinction to make too, right? Because you end up with situations where you have someone like Grant Norton in the UK who we've brought up before in this podcast, who will present, say, Benedict Cumberbatch or David Tennant or whoever they're talking to with RPF about themselves. Um, And it gets really awkward. And they also will, sometimes actors will get asked about it in the press. And people forget that that's not its intended audience. It's not an attention-grabbing thing. It's not a, I want the celebrity to read this and love me thing. So I'm glad you brought that up early because we'll get more into that later, but I think that's huge when people have squicky issues or are thinking about RPF in that context. Mm -hmm. I feel really bad for the authors of the RPF that gets picked to be the one that got read on some talk show. Yeah, and usually it's, as with all bad fic um, and all weird fic that gets pointed out, it's usually the really explicit sexual ones that that ends up happening with which absolutely were probably never intended for that particular audience. So I think that that's part of it. What gets me about that, and I've experienced this with RPF, RPF initially struck me as very weird, and I still don't read it, but it strikes me as less weird now that I know more about it. But what struck me as weird was that, like, if you're writing something explicit, you're describing body parts that, like, you couldn't know anything about. (laughs) And I think that that's what squicks people out, is it's this idea that, well, you're describing real people having sex. Like, you're you're describing real body parts. But you're doing that with the characters who are fictional, too. Right? Yeah. Like, if you're describing a cock that belongs to the Tenth Doctor, you're still imagining what David Tennant's cock looks like. (laughs) Well, not if you're writing Spartacus real person fanfic. No. (laughs) Where they're all naked on the show all the time anyway, so, you know. So is it any any more or better descriptions that you get in Spartacus fandom, or is it just as bad then? You know, I I haven't actually read any, so I'm not sure. I know it exists, and I've watched the show, so I know that uh, I've I've seen some people's private parts on the show. That's funny. So uh, let's talk about RPF, because it is actually surprisingly huge. Um, most people, when they think about RPF, they probably, in their own fandoms, might think, oh, that's a small subset of my particular fandom that I'm in. But 1D fandom is one of the biggest on the internet. And that's RPF. Yep. So let's talk yep. about what the biggest kind of uh, sets of RPF that happen are. Do either of you read boy band or band fandom? I know that's a big one. Yeah, I do. That's what I'm mainly was into probably going on nine years now but it becomes like I was into you know Fall Out Boy and Panic at the Disco and their whole musical shows were a big show Panic at the Disco literally put on a circus every night for two years you know this isn't how they go home and oh you know I'm a circus person at home as well so with the bands You see so much of them at the show, interviews, you know, they are doing blog posts, Ryan Ross was on LiveJournal, you know, like you're so immersed with them that it becomes equivalent to seeing a TV show and getting to know these characters that they're putting out there that you just want to read more and create fic around the characters that they are putting out there. I think with boy bands in particular, with bands, it's also the relationship dynamics that they're putting out there. Because, like, reasonably, if I wrote Hard Day's Night fandom, right, like, Beatles fans, Mm -hmm. if they could have been writing RPF at that time the way we do now, they likely would have been. And what you see in a Hard Day's Night is a kind of RPF. They're playing themselves, but they're playing these manufactured versions of themselves that fans want, who've been crafted to have, you know, Paul be the cute and cuddly one, and John be the acerbic and witty one. I mean, that's all persona. And you could say the same thing, too, about, you know, when I was a kid, I saw Spice World. Yeah. The very notion that their names, you know, Ginger Spice, Baby Spice, like they were named to fit certain personas that you could project yourself onto, and that whole movie's RPF. 
Yeah. So it's not surprising yep. that there would be this band fandom. And I feel like from what I can see on Tumblr and on AO3, the bands that tend to draw it the, the most are the ones that are the most manufactured. Mm-hmm. So, like, you're not going to yeah. go online and find, you know, a lot of Bob Dylan RPF or something. <laughs> Somebody who seems, though, very much like who they are is who they are. Like, you're not going to find that, I think, to the same degree as boy bands, bands like Panic! at the Disco who have this huge crafted kind of thing. Yeah. Um, bands like Green Day or My Chemical Romance who are staging these rock operas with fictional characters presented as themselves. Um yeah. Yeah. I mean, Lita, do you read any band RPF? You know, I don't really anymore, but the first RPF fandom that I was in was um, Japanese rock band RPF um, for the kind of visual K, like Japanese glam goth rock band. It was the same deal with them that they had this, there's very elaborate shows and very distinctive personas that they made for the band. Some often names that were not their own names and there was a lot of fanfic about that there was a lot of fan service in j-rock fandom too so sometimes the band members would get really touchy-feely on stage sometimes they were kissing on stage and so you know it did they do that stuff in real life behind the scenes i have no idea i imagine probably not but yeah that was that was kind of the first band fandom i was in and i admit i did dabble some in uh, american idol RPF also, which is also a big one, because you you get to see these people through reality TV. Again, I think I think a lot of RPF rose up alongside reality TV, where you get to see them, and they talk about themselves, and they talk about their lives, and they're in this tense situation where they have to have these supposedly really real interactions with the other people. And is it really real? I, I don't know. It's all cut and edited by you know, executive producer. That reminds me of, um, I think, how manufactured, like, a reality show mixed with bands can really be, because, I mean, so much of that is completely crafted by the producers of the show, right? I know up here in Canada, Carly Rae Jepsen was a contestant on Canadian Idol, and my mom was really surprised when she blew up with Call Me Maybe, because when she was on Canadian Idol, I think she got to third place, and they were working extraordinarily hard on that show to craft her as the bluesy one. When she came in, she had the deep, kind of bluesier voice, and they already had other traditional pop star type of contestants. So she became the one who they would give, like, Rolling in the Deep to, and they would want her to sing and be, oh, she's the hip, indie, bluesy chick. And so when she came out with Call Me Maybe, I remember my mom being like, is that the type of music she really actually wanted to do that whole time? And that's who she is? And I was like, yeah, Mom, because she didn't have a choice when she was on the show, right? Well, I actually, I, I was trying to do, like, a little bit of research for this podcast. And since you'd mentioned One Direction, which I know, like, nothing about besides, like, a couple songs on the radio, I went and looked up and discovered that they actually were manufactured for the X Factor. I didn't know that about them, but that gives another perspective to the fandom is that they were literally put together for a reality show that they were not a band and so the whole story of these people coming together becoming a group and then becoming popular was all televised 1d is a huge one it's huge the most recent book to kind of have that 50 shades thing where it came out of fan fiction and thus people are freaking out and saying this is an example of fan fiction turned mainstream is after by anna todd which is a whole book series that was one direction rpf mm-hmm. that yeah. she wrote on her phone yeah. and it became a popular book series so it's funny how there's that like feedback loop of of rpf right well it's also kind of funny because as i was looking into stuff for this podcast i was reading about how far rpf goes back and how there are all these fanzines you know being published about old movie stars and and you know star trek and that kind of stuff but a lot of it the names got changed so as not to actually have the actors right so it's all these stories about these famous actors but the names are changed yeah and i mean even going back to very 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 famous movies i mean there's always been that fascination with celebrity and with personas so even when you're flipping the name and you're not saying it's rpf i mean citizen kane is rpf 
right? Like, Orson Welles, there's a lot of interviews in it length where he's talked about the fact that some of that character was based on William Randolph Hearst and his real-life girlfriend at the time. So RPF goes back, right? Like, Shakespeare wrote RPF. We don't think about that now because the English kings are kind of so in the past. Because we just... We call it historical fiction. Yes, and we well, and, and I think once it's got that historical lens on it, there's something that seems more acceptable about it. But at the same time, remember that in Shakespeare's time, a lot of the RPF he was writing was not that far in the past, mm-hmm. right? Um, yeah. So, yeah, RPF goes back very, very, very far, and I feel like it's really the fan fiction community where it seems to be particularly more maligned, and maybe that's the pornographic element, yeah. I'm not sure. I think it's also that, uh, you know, fiction about dead people, there's a little less of a perception of it's going to be like slander or libel or something like that, which is more of a risk if you're writing about somebody who's alive today that you could get sued for, for libel or something like yeah. that. Yeah, like dead people, it's like, oh, they've been dead for 100 years. So you know, it's like stuff going out of copyright. I think the internet also exacerbates that problem because people Google themselves now. And that didn't used to be a thing, right? If you were distributing fan fiction, I would say, you know, 20 years ago of RPF, the likelihood of that person ever finding it if it was some weird GeoCity site on the internet was pretty slim. But when you have a celebrity who can now literally have a Google alert on their own name, um, it becomes a little more problematic because they're probably encountering it more. I did actually go to AO3 and look up what the top RPF fandoms are, if you're interested in that. Um, so the biggest RPF fandom is Supernatural RPF, which has about 11,000 fics. The second biggest is Rooster Teeth yeah. fandom, which is like a YouTube, pe- I don't know anything <laughs> about it. Alex, do you know yeah. what? I, this was the, you, yeah. there was some recent video of them reading their RPF out loud on camera too. Yeah, they're YouTubers who, they play video games badly. They can do it good. They just play badly. But uh, they did a charity event, Extra Life, and for a 24-hour stream, for one of their goals was reading fanfic about themselves. So they read out loud the guys who were in the fanfic, fanfic about themselves. They skipped some of the parts. They they couldn't read all of it. But they kind of went out looking, like it was a joke, but it was, they, they looked for it. So I don't see as big of a deal about yeah. it. Yeah, so that, that fandom has... 10,000 fix and so does my chemical romance and after that we get start getting into the sports rpf with um hockey rpf and football rpf and i know hockey rpf is is pretty huge thing and then more bands fallout boy panic at the disco and then the the last one that was on like the top list on the AO3 filters was British actor RPF. Let's talk a little bit. So we talked about the boy band category, but the sports RPF thing fascinates me because I did not know that until you just said that. Um, Do you think that there are more male fans writing the sports RPF? No. Or is that? Not at all. (laughs) Everyone I know who's into hockey RPF is female. Yeah. Yeah, hockey RPF is also kind of locked down really i was into it for a couple years and there was a whole a whole scandal about uh the press and hockey players finding out about fic so i was really surprised even today looking at ao3 at the hockey rpf and i think about a fair bit of it is locked so so it's kind of weird how inside fandoms we have these subcultures that just don't want to do anything with anybody else that is so fascinating to me i want to talk a little bit about that the the hockey rpf my first question is about the fact that you guys are saying it's more female fans so much like with gaming uh, i think female sports fans are a subculture that people kind of don't think exists period now are the hockey rpf and the sports rpf people are they people who like the men because they're hot, but they don't like hockey? Or are they actually people who are really invested in the sports? I think they're people who are invested in the sports. Yeah, the majority of them are. majority of them know and watch hockey regularly. During the lockout, there was a whole influx of people who weren't in entirely interested in. And then in 2013... I think around that time, 
a lot of people from Bandom actually got into hockey RPF because bands were in between albums. So they had nothing to do and they kind of went over. So you kind of do have mostly people who are into hockey who are diehard fans. And then you kind of have this other group that just kind of fit themselves in and kind of really fell in love with the people they were writing. That's really interesting to me. No, because I feel like we've talked before about uh, fan fiction providing safe spaces for women. And I feel like, man, if you're a female sports fan who you're really into sports, I mean, we get the fake geek girl blowback normally. But I can imagine for sports fans, because that's a subculture that is just not talked about, that is women who genuinely love sports, you know, that don't love women's sports. Um, I find that very interesting that they have this place where they're writing RPF about hockey. I especially find what you said fascinating about the press and the reaction that the sport itself had to the existence of fic. Because, again, you're talking about a real masculine-dominated environment where they would not necessarily expect that or have the frame of reference for it that I think people in other fandoms would. So do you know a little more about that, Alex, that you can elaborate about what the issue was there? So the issue was AJ, who she goes by Bookshop, I believe, so she's into fandom. She was writing a bunch of articles about different fandoms and made a post that she was interested in writing an article about Hockey RPF. And then Hockey RPF freaked out and said, you're not going about this the right way. We don't want anybody to read our stuff. We don't want the hockey players to find out what we're writing about them. Because, like, living in Canada, the hockey culture is gigantic here. Especially if you live in a city with a hockey team. like Oh, I'm in Toronto, so yeah, maple leaf fever. Yeah, it's Exactly. Real. So even here in Edmonton, on a Friday, Saturday night, you could go down to a bar and you could hang out with the hockey players. You know, you can go party with them. So it, it's kind of this really weird thing. It's like, we do this, but we don't want them to know about it. And you writing this article is going to bring them into our subculture. and We don't want that. See, the gender politics of that fascinate me, <laughs> because as you said, the worry also might have been that if you've created this safe space that's going to kind of alienate the hockey players, it might also alienate the male hockey fans. Mm-hmm. And if you're the person who goes to the games and goes to those bars and you are hanging out with male hockey fans, finding out that you're writing fic, especially explicit or female-centric of your take on the sport of something that men feel that ownership of... Yeah. Um, I could foresee that being almost a scary thing, the possibility of having them find out, right? Because for you to like sports, you already have to have this persona of kind of being one of the guys just to be accepted. So finding out that you're writing explicit fic or that you're attracted to the players would be a very much kind of, oh, you're no longer one of the guys thing. Mm -hmm. Uh, Just to conclude, she didn't write the article in the end. She... She did respect the wishes of the of the fandom and didn't write the article. But um, like I said, even to this day, a lot of it is locked down. So wow, yeah, okay. So that's kind of sports RPF, which is <laughs> apparently is its whole own thing. That's yep. wow. <laughs> Marvel fandom, there's actually quite a lot of RPF there. Yeah, I think the um, the British actor RPF, which I mentioned being on the list, a lot of that is Tom Hiddleston. A lot. And he, he makes up a lot of the, like, the Marvel Cinematic Universe RPF. Almost every single ship that's the top ships in that RPF fandom are Tom Hiddleston and other people. British actors is probably really dominated by, well, you have that combination of you've got the Doctor Who actors, you've got the Marvel British actors, and you've got the Sherlock actors, and you've got the Harry Potter actors. So, I mean, all of the top actors fandom loves are British, right? So that does not surprise me in the slightest that they would be so big. I know I see a lot of Robert Downey Jr. fic in Marvel, I see a fair bit of Chris Hemsworth fic. Not so much Chris Evans fic, which I feel like comes partially from fans probably respecting how private a person he is. Like, I feel like that's actually a respect thing on the part of fans that you don't see as much Evans because he strikes me as very prickly about that type of stuff. Yeah, I mean, I think that when people engage with with their fans more, that basically they're 
they're adding to the canon of the RPF fandom. So every tweet, every Facebook post, everything that an actor puts out there to the public becomes a part of their public persona. And so when an actor doesn't do much like that, then the fans have less information about them from to draw from when they're writing. Do you feel like it's always been this way, or particularly now that they're very fan servicey? Not necessarily specifically to the RPF community, but I mean, I've seen gifts from Marvel, for example, of like RDJ and Tom Hiddleston. You know, he's rubbing Tom's back in their interview, and they're like making jokes that could be taken a sexual way. Or there was one I saw today of Chris Hemsworth eating a Captain America flavored Dorito next to Chris Evans, and then being like, "Oh, this is what I thought you'd taste like," and Chris Evans just being I like, "You know." Oh my God. I mean, I think that's just people being people. Like, I mean, a, a good example is um, I, I was in Teen Wolf fandom for a while. I know I've mentioned that before. Um, and Teen Wolf fandom also has a fairly significant RPF fandom because in almost every single interview, all the cast members had their hands all over each other and were hugging and were making jokes and, you know, innuendos and stuff like that. And I think it's just, in, in that case, it was a whole lot of, young attractive people who spend 12 hours a day together and they're just hanging out that's just what people do i don't think that they're doing it intentionally for the fans and i think in fact at the teen wolf scenario i think some of the actors actually um backed off on some stuff in interviews after the rpf fandom kind of blew up about it so i'll go to you on this alex just because we've been going to lita a bit um one thing about that, though, about the idea that maybe the Teen Wolf actors backed off a bit or talking about actor RPF specifically, do you think it sometimes can give people a sense of entitlement towards the actors? Like they're expecting that fan service or they feel kind of ownership of that persona where fans can turn on an actor really quickly or get really upset if they're not providing that for their RPF? I think that there's a small group to act that way, but I feel like that's no matter if it's RPF or or the writers of a show or, or what have you. I feel like there's always that group of people who are in, feel that they are entitled for things to go a certain way. This is what they're expecting. This is what they believe in their their minds is what the truth is. I think most of us who write and read RPF understand that we're not entitled to anything these are real people these are real humans living their lives outside of whatever we may think so I think most people understand that but I, I always think that there's a, as always a small group who <laughs> who kind of take things a little bit too far small group is always the loud group yes too. absolutely <laughs> you mentioned rooster teeth the YouTube stuff is blowing up right now, and I'm assuming just based on Rooster Teeth being in that list and what I know about some of the other YouTube subcultures and kind of YouTube personas, that that's also really kind of huge at this point, is the RPF about video bloggers and online celebrities. Those guys, to me, are enormously accessible to their fans. So how does that change that? Like, do either of you really read or write um, kind of gamer or YouTube RPF? I actually don't read or write. I follow their YouTube, you know, and their websites and, and that kind of stuff. And I feel like with them, especially with, I'm more into Rooster Chief and uh, an Achievement Hunter. But, you know, there's, there's Fun House, there's Game Grumps, there's PewDiePie. You have a whole list of them. And you really get to see kind of behind the behind the camera with them a lot of their life is just out there and they do it for entertainment value so it's their life's amped up to 11 basically so I don't really I don't really know what exactly is being written I've heard it's not the best stuff being written <laughs> um, but I know there's a general rule especially like with Achievement Hunter a lot of them are married, they have kids, and it's number one rule, you don't involve the kids. You know, you don't involve these people that are off screen, just the people who put themselves out there. You don't involve the families. 
Do you feel like that those guys have an easier time kind of stating and having those rules be enforced by fans because they have that close fan relationship? So for, for me, I mean, an actor, they might not want RPF, they might not know it's there, they're not necessarily looking to have it written about them, versus I feel like with the YouTube and the online communities, because they evolved alongside fan fiction, and because so many of the fan fiction people are the same people who are probably their most hardcore supporters, who have kind of catapulted them to being able to make money on their YouTube stuff, that there's probably more of an appreciation going back and forth. And there's probably also, again, a, a willingness of them to be accepting of it happening and their mutual respect that happens. Yeah, I mean, it's not like they're going out every day at, after work and looking for a fanfic to read. But they, you know, they understand it's there and they're not condemning it in any way. Um, and I think a lot of people would respect if they said, you know, I'm not comfortable with this. Because uh, there was one one guy, an achievement hunter, Jeff, he was, they used to do a pod, well, they still do a podcast, but they did a podcast primarily with him. And then one day he kind of disappeared and people went, well, what happened? And it turned out, you know, it was for family reasons, too much stuff about his life was getting out. He wasn't comfortable with the amount of information that was getting out there and that the fans were turning around. So he stepped away and people, I feel like, respected that, but I don't know, as I haven't read any within the RPF, if that wish was really respected. But I don't see a lot of fake written about them, so I don't know. <laughs> so let's talk about some of the problems and issues people have with RPF, going into what you just mentioned about, you know, them kind of wanting some of it not to be there because of a lot of information being out there. Uh, it can make the actors uncomfortable or the video game YouTube stars or whatever uncomfortable. Um, there is a perception in the fandom community that RPF is particularly creepy or squicky. Now, I'll tell a story, which is that I went to a fan fiction panel at a major convention, and uh, the topic of RPF came up briefly. Um, somebody put their hand up and said, hey, you know, we're talking about fan fiction. What do you guys think about RPF? Um, and I was really kind of... Um, upset and surprised by the fact that the entire room collectively groaned like someone had just punched them or pained them somehow when it got brought up and then the three panelists all basically said rpf is gross and it leads to stalking and it's creepy and it's over the line and we all shouldn't do it can we all agree on that and the room nodded and then everybody moved on and i thought to myself if there's anyone in this room who reads or writes RPF, I feel really, really terrible for them. And that is so awful for a panel about a community like fan fiction that accepts so many other kinks. You know, we're making jokes about tentacle sex in the panel, and you guys are like, RPF, boo, shut up. Like, it just... I feel like saying, saying RPF leads to stalking is kind of like saying, like, video games lead to violent murders like it's if someone's a stalker maybe they write rpf too but just because you write rpf doesn't mean you're going to become a stalker like i feel like that's a really huge leap yeah and the perception that people who write rpf have a harder time separating fantasy and reality than the people who write regular fan fiction um i also don't understand because i feel like if you're writing rpf it's probably because you actually have even more of a distinction than the person who's writing fan fiction. You're probably very aware of it when you write that, right? And you have that in your mind. Maybe. I feel like there's also a big age component there because I feel like um, younger teenagers writing RPF perhaps are not as aware of the, the lines um, and I say that because when I was into J-Rock fandom, I was 17, maybe 16, 17, 18. And I certainly did not have the perspective on it that I do now as, you know, I'm 33. So I feel like back then, a lot of the time it was like, you know, watching each thing and hoping that the characters, not characters, the people that I was interested in were going to like touch each other or say something suggestive or whatever, like thinking that that was a thing that would actually happen. And I feel like there's just a um, 
a maturity level of when you grow up and you realize, oh, okay, this is not, this is a public persona. This isn't like a real person that I feel like younger fans maybe don't always have that perspective. So I think a lot of the, especially I feel like this was a big blow up thing in, in Teen Wolf fandom because a lot of Teen Wolf fans were younger and they're, because the show was, I mean, it's aimed at teenagers. It was an MTV show. Um, so I feel like that, that definitely is a factor in it. I'm not saying that like all younger fans have this issue because it's not the case, but certainly sometimes there is a, a different level of perspective that comes with um, with age. I feel like social media has also blurred that line enormously though, right? Because like I remember when I was a teenager and it was being into boy bands, it was through like bop magazines. Like it was through fan magazines. It was through television interviews and music videos. And the personas could afford to be much more carefully, obviously a construction. So it was harder for you to convince yourself, hey, they're like this in real life because there were a billion layers between you and them. Like if I wanted to get a hold of Taylor Hansen, you know, like 12 year old me, I had a friend and we used to sit with our fan magazines and cut out the agent's addresses because literally the only way that you would ever be able to get a hold of them was to be in a concert or to write their agent's address and hope to get a signed photo back that like you didn't know if they signed it. And I feel like with now you have so many celebrities who are going out of their way to craft this unfiltered, this is the real me persona where anybody can go on social media and get a tweet back from somebody who they like, you know? And, and if a celebrity is that type of person who's very fan servicey, who they're on Tumblr and they'll retumble people's stuff and open up their ask box and, you know, they're on Twitter and they're on Facebook, it can start to feel less like this is a crafted persona and more like, oh, this is the real them because they're like this all the time, even if it is crafted, even if it's their agent writing the tweets. Um, there, there tends to be less of an awareness of that because of the media that's available. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think then you get into the same um, issue with, like, fanon versus canon that fandom in general has, where people have their head canons about real people and their fanon about their RPF fandom, and then they get really upset when that doesn't play out in real life. Honestly, I think a lot of the progression of that comes from reality TV. Before the, you know, late 90s, early 2000s, reality TV was not a thing. You didn't vote on who should win American Idol, you know. No, and you didn't see celebrities with their wives or their families being followed by cameras. Their lives weren't out there being followed by cameras. And, I mean, I feel like the, like, you know, you were saying about, like, the fans feeling like they have an, an influence. Well, on a lot of reality shows, the fans do have a direct influence because you're voting for who you want to stay and who you want to have go. But there's also that blurred line of what is constructed and what is real. Because, again, if, if you're watching them in an interview, then you know this is constructed. This is a fully constructed scenario. But if they're doing a reality show like Gene Simmons' Family Jewels or like the one about Ice-T and his wife, it could be just as constructed as that interview. But they're presenting it to you 100% as this is us off the cuff in our house. Yep. So... It's a little bit more of a blur, I think, for people to be able to extrapolate that they might not be that way in real life, right? Yeah. So let's do some in defense of RPF then, because we talked about some of the issues and some of the problems. Um, why do you guys love RPF so much? Why do you write it? What's the draw? Um, Alex, we'll go to you first. Well, like I said at the beginning, when I originally was into fandoms, I wasn't into RPF. I had all the same fears. I was like, this is really weird. These are real people. You know, what's going on? But I was into Harry Potter and Digimon and, you know, like cartoons and books and stuff where RPF wasn't really a big deal. And then I started getting into music in high school and that was all I had. I went from being able to consume everything I could in Harry Potter to interviews and albums with nothing else in between. So it kind of became a necessity. Like, I wanted more, and I was looking for fiction, and it kind of turned into RPF. Now, as I've grown older, I 
can see, you know, the personas and the characters. And it's just kind of interesting to see how different actors could react to other actors and what goes on behind the scenes of your favorite TV show or movie. So, I mean, really, it started out of necessity, and now it's just kind of another different branch to me. It's like an AU, but with actors. <laughs> okay. Um, Lita, what about you? Um, I think, I mean, to start with, since I also started with a, you know, a music RPF fandom, I think that's where a lot of people come into RPF from, is you're, you're really into some band, and you want more, and the only fandom for that is RPF. There is no, like, other fandom for it, like there is for actors and things like that. But, I mean, to be honest, one of the reasons I come to fandom and I look for fan fiction is for porn. And I'm going to be totally upfront about that. And that is also the reason I go to RPF fandoms. It's, you know, the I like the actors. I want to see more of them. And sometimes there will be an actor. And this is what I think is really fascinating about RPF, where the, the line gets blurred between the actor and the character, is when the actor is very, very charismatic and charming. And the character is maybe a little more dark and brooding. I feel like that is a case where there's always going to be a big RPF fandom about that actor because the actor is just so so compelling and so interesting in their interviews that you want to see more about them as themselves rather than as the character. Now, here is something that always gets me because I don't read RPF, but I do sometimes see characters I love mischaracterized, especially I find the actors who draw the most RPF tend to have a huge chunk of their fix about their fictional characters being more mischaracterized. So because there's such a stigma on RPF, do you ever yep. feel like people will, because they don't want to write RPF, they will write hugely mischaracterized regular fic that's really about the actor? I feel like with Tom Hiddleston, I mean, I can count on, you know, a million hands how many fics there are out there that mischaracterized Loki as a cuddly fluffy bunny who acts very much like Tom Hiddleston and ignore Loki's dominant character traits in Marvel. Um, and I'm assuming with Supernatural, I mean, I might piss off some Wincest fans here, but I do sometimes feel like the people who are into Wincest are really into how hot those two actors are and they don't want to write RPF, so they're writing fic about the charisma between the two actors and the vibe that they have, but they're just mischaracterizing it as Wincest. Um, now might draw me some hate mail from incest people. <laughs> incest kind of scripts me. I will do an incest show where I will let people defend it because obviously, you know, your kink is not my kink and that's okay. But I feel like that does tend to happen. Do you guys think that that's true or no? Absolutely. I absolutely think that's true. And I think uh, Tom Hiddleston is a great example of that. But I think the other one, and I, you know, I'm probably going to piss off some people with this too, but I feel like um, Steric is, has a big problem with that um, because I have never in my life seen another, another ship where so much of the fanfic is mischaracterized from the show in such a way as that it seems like it's about the actors. And there's a fairly significant RPF fandom for that too, um, but it's not nearly to the scale of um, Steric fandom. And I, I just feel like a lot of the, this is that same situation where, you know, Tyler Hecklin is just such a, a charismatic and charming person in all of his interviews and everyone kind of fell in love with him and they brought that back into the character and maybe don't even realize anymore where the line is. See, I feel like we should have a movement from this episode that's called Free RPF, which is <laughs> yeah. just, you know, hey, everybody, let's take the stigma off of RPF, and if you really want to write RPF, write it, and nobody's going to call you a and weirdo stalker, and then we'll get better fic. Exactly. We'll get, I, I think, you know. I mean, honestly, I know we're all we're all in, in Daredevil fandom, too, and I feel like Daredevil fandom has the same exact problem where people are afraid to write RPF about Charlie Cox, and instead, they write these fanfics where Matt Murdock is some kind of, like, snuggle monster. Yeah, he's, like... way too much, he's way too much of a cinnamon roll, I'll give you that. He is. And, like, Charlie Cox is yeah. that guy in, in interviews. He is does seem really, like, adorable and cute and fluffy and snuggly. And not. You know, Matt Murdock is not that guy. 
But that happens with Eldon, too. I think that happens with Foggy Nelson. Like, he's somewhat more of a cinnamon roll in the show. But I feel like, again, some people are taking characteristics that they like yeah. of the actor, of him being somewhat, you know, willing to do weird stuff, like he's got, like, nipple rings and, like, wears black nail polish, and they will extrapolate that stuff onto yep. Foggy. Like, I mean, that and it happens, I think, in every fandom. And I think, again, it's the stigma of RPF. Right, so we need to like destigmatize it, it and say it's okay to just like the actor, just like with porn, it's okay to write a PWP for the reason that you think the actor is hot. You know, yep. don't try and surround it by all this fluff and pretend it's something it's not. If that's not what you want to do, nobody's going to judge you for just I'm here for the shirtless guy, right? Yeah. Like, well, somebody will probably <laughs> judge you for it, but not another person uh, in fandom, probably. No. <laughs> Um, so, so let's talk about RPF, though, from the perspective of not just the stigma within fandom, but the stigma from outside of fandom, because I find that deeply strange, only because of all of the types of fandom writing, RPF is the one that is the most acceptable in the mainstream on a normal basis. So we mentioned historical RPF. Historical RPF is seen as a perfectly non-weird, acceptable thing to write. If you take a character more than 100 years old and you plunk him in any setting and you write the strangest, weirdest porn you want about them, people will still defend that and say, oh, you can totally publish that as a Harlequin. That's historical RPF. doesn't matter that it stars, you know, Alexander the Great or Henry VIII or Anne Boleyn instead of, you know, a fictional character with their same names. That's fine. I mean, you have the other Boleyn girl, right? It's historical RPF. Um, I feel the same thing about biopics, even about modern people. I mean, we talked about the stigma about writing about somebody who is not dead, but, I mean, Alex, you pointed this out before we started recording, yeah. The Social Network. Yeah, that's such a huge movie, uh, That is, but it's about real-life people creating Facebook. <laughs> and that's really interesting, too, because the, is the fandom of that movie RPF or not? Well, you know, it's funny because I asked the same question when I saw that Hamilton RPF was a category on AO3. So Alex and I, you know, you and I are both Hamilton trash. Hamilton trash for <laughs> forever. <laughs> yes. And um, when I saw that there was a Hamilton RPF fandom, um, I actually had to ask, okay, so is that Hamilton RPF fandom, is that historical RPF being written about the, the versions of Aaron Burr and Alexander Hamilton from the play? Right. Or is that fandom of Lin-Manuel Miranda and actors from the play? And it, it's actually actors from the play, but both things yeah. are RPF. Like the musical itself is a wonderful piece of RPF that completely takes the historical characters and it puts them in a modern context and it does all this stuff with them. And a lot of it is very fictionalized and it compresses timelines. I mean, that's what it is. So why is it that when Aaron Sorkin writes RPF, everyone wants to give him an Oscar. And when Lin-Manuel Miranda writes, very passionate, I mean, you hear him talk about it, RPF, right? Very fandom-based, like, squeeing over Alexander Hamilton-style RPF. Um, Broadway can't, you know, get, throw enough money at him and advance ticket sales and praise. But when, you know, you or I are sitting here and we contemplate writing, you know, like Robert Downey Jr. RPF, or even writing, you know, RPF for older actors, it's some, somehow seen as lesser and weird, and uh, even within fan fiction, was our, which is already kind of seen and perceived by some people as a lesser and weird thing to do, um, it's perceived as the lesser and weird thing of that. Like, I, I don't understand that. I think it's part of the the world's view on fanfiction writing as a whole. I mean, the stereotypical fanfic writer is the old, the spinster lady with seven cats huddled over her computer. <laughs> or it's the 12-year-old squeeing girl passing out Beatlemania style, right? Right. So I think that has to do with it. And then you look at that and go, well, they don't even like RPF. They're against RPF. Well, that means we're really not for it. You know, I think it's kind of a trickle-down effect. If yeah. you don't like something within your own culture, your outside culture isn't going to take that on. Yeah. I just think that, I mean, real, well-written RPF, I mean, you look at the social network, like, it's RPF, but 
that doesn't mean it's not also an important comment on things that were going on in the world and on the kinds of people who were getting into tech, right? And you look at Hamilton, you know, there are a lot of things that Hamilton does that kind of really rise above the idea of it being RPF and make important points about the people who the musical is about. So I feel like, like, also that stigma on RPF is keeping it something being written by, you know, the 12-year-old band fans who were looking for smut. And it's kind of keeping some people who would be really amazing RPF writers out, which is too bad. I was just going to point out that we've listed off, you know, biopics, Alexander Hamilton, The Social Network. All of these are big things that were made about people who made huge contributions. I mean, I'm not saying Robert Downey Jr. or Chris Evans haven't made huge contributions to our lives, but not in the way that, you know, Steve Jobs created the iPhone that every single person, most people use, or, you know, Facebook that has millions and millions and millions of people on it. So I wonder if that's something like that can push, you know, for something to be accepted worldwide because their products are already accepted worldwide. Yeah, I think that's that's a really good point. I hadn't thought about that before, but it's kind of where... you're talking about like the line where a Mm -hmm. person becomes a historical figure right because like you know contemporary people who are doing things like may or may not be remembered 50 or 100 years from now like are people going to remember robert downey jr in 100 years (laughs) but but are people going to remember well i don't know are people going to remember facebook in 200 years (laughs) perhaps but there Perhaps. are still biopics that are made about, like, lesser actors from Hollywood's golden era. I mean, you do occasionally get good real-person fiction about people who are not in that category of giant historical figures. And those can sometimes be very interesting. Sure, but I think it, it seems like it might be um, the, the, the bar for how acceptable it is, is how significant historically the person it's about is one of the rpf fandoms that i find the most interesting and i don't read fic for this but i I came across it on ao3 and i had to like actually sit down and think about what does this fandom name even mean is fake news rpf because there's fake news rpf and then there's fake news fpf and I just think that's really interesting. This is usually talking about like the Daily Show or and the Colbert Report and things like that, where it's fake news, but it's fanfic about the people on the fake news show. And there's a difference if you're writing about Jon Stewart and Stephen Colbert as their characters on their respective shows versus as themselves the actors playing those characters and i just thought that was really interesting because it seems like this kind of like meta rpf that's like such a thin line yeah because i was like well fake person fiction fake person fake person fiction is not the same as fiction it kind of is but it but it has to be termed fake person fiction because it's about a person who's supposed to be a real person but isn't and has the same name Stephen as Stephen Colbert, person. right? When he did his late night show, that was a very big conversation for people of like, are we finally going to see where the line is between Stephen Colbert, host of the Colbert Report, who has this kind of vaunted mythology around himself, but shares the same backstory and essentially is supposed mm-hmm. to be the real Stephen Colbert, but isn't versus yeah. Stephen Colbert, the real guy, right? Like, it's interesting. And again, it's about that sense of a blurred line of where does the real person presenting themselves begin and end? I just thought that was a really interesting fandom that I, I came across at some point. I don't even remember. I think I think during looking at a Yuletide fandoms list or something that I was like, oh, I didn't realize that was a thing. Mm-hmm. But it's really interesting to think about. Okay, so let's move on and let's do some thick wrecks. Did you guys have time to find a couple of good ones? I have one that is the one RPF fic I have bookmarked on AO3. It's called Found It All Right for Kicks by That Broadcast. Mm -hmm. And it is Kingsman the Secret Service RPF about Taryn Egerton and Colin Firth. 
I really love this fic. It's it's a plot what plot, but it's like a seven thousand word plot what plot, where it's I don't know that it like epitomizes RPF or anything like that so much as I just really enjoyed it. But I thought it was interesting because the scenario in the fic is certainly not something that anyone would believe is actually happening in real life. Like, does anybody seriously think that one professional actor is like running off to his trailer to jerk off about the other actor who he, you know, has the hots for, right? Like, nobody thinks that really happens in real life. But it's written really well. And the, you know, I hate to say characterization, but I feel like the characterization was really good. And it totally ignores these people's actual real life like relationships or families or any of that just pretend that doesn't exist and i think that's that's another thing that happens in rpf is because it's about this persona it's like well maybe he's married but that doesn't matter for this fanfic we're going to pretend that never happened and those people don't exist this this fanfic is basically that's what it's about it's about taron egerton like discovering having some kind of like sexual crisis about his feelings for Colin Firth and then you know then they have sex right so <laughs> that's the gist of it but it's really well written and it's really good and I highly I do firmly it. believe that it is possible that anybody could be around Colin Firth and then have to go masturbate <laughs> I, that that strikes me as perfectly plausible regardless of who they are <laughs> just can't hold it in anymore <laughs> um Alex what about you do you have a thick rack uh, I do have one. So I kind of went um, with Bandum. So it is Fall Out Boy, Pete Wentz, and Patrick Stump. Because when I was reading all this stuff, um, Archive of Our Own was just kind of getting its legs underneath it. So I have no bookmarks. I have no nothing. I had to go searching for, <laughs> for old fix that I used to like. But I found this one, and it's basically what would be considered canon divergence it's them meeting in a different way in chicago and not creating fallout boy but it's a different path that they could take and then it ends in porn so what's the name of it <laughs> uh the name is called where is it this seed burst and grown and it's by senna i think is how it's pronounced so it's just kind of interesting. I thought this would be a good one because it does follow what kind of could have happened, but it's still alternate universe to what reality currently is. So I thought it was kind of nice to showcase that RPF is kind of like just fanfic, you know, just regular. <laughs> and a note on our yeah. FICREX for everybody listening, because it's you and because it's Lita, um, yours has the underage tag, Alex, and Lita's is quite smutty as well. So if, <laughs> if, if you're looking for non-explicit FICREX this week, these are not the people that you're looking for. Um <laughs> RPF is fan fiction. It's not just, it's not documentary. It's not, not usually historical fiction in the sense that we're typically talking about RPF. It's fan fiction and it's very similar to all other fan fiction and has all the same benefits and all the same problems as all other fan fiction. It's susceptible to people having their weird head cannons. It has fanon. It has alternate universes. It has, you know, wing fic and tentacle porn and like whatever else and a lot of it is really written because somebody wants to see these two actors hooking up as is a lot of fan fiction not all of it but a significant portion um i actually went and looked up the percentage of rpf fix on uh, ao3 that are rated explicit or mature and it is 44 percent of all of the RPF fix are. So I just thought that was an interesting statistic. To and think about. Uh, Alex, what are your final thoughts for us? I don't have a lot, just RPF, yay. Go write it. Go read it. Go do it. Yes. We need more. Don't be afraid. <laughs> don't don't be ashamed. If you're not ashamed of writing like ABO tentacle porn MPREG, 
Why are you ashamed that of writing RPF? That is absolutely <laughs> a really fantastic point. There's no way that RPF is weirder than any of the fics I've been reading in Sherlock fandom lately. Um, there's just no way. And if you're one of those people who is listening to us thinking, RPF, is that still a thing? Uh, clearly you are still on fanfiction.net, which does not allow RPF. And come and join us on AO3, because there is tons of it there. I just wanted to make sure I pointed that out, too, because... People on FF.net may not realize how much RPF is still being written. FF.net banned it um, in one of its more controversial moves. So, RPF, yay. That's our vote. RPF, yay. Yep. So, that is our show. Thank you so much for listening. I hope that if you hated RPF before listening to this, you at least hate it a little less. Uh, Maybe you are even now going to reconsider it entirely. I don't know. I hope so. Uh, I learned a lot recording this episode that I didn't know, so I hope that you did too. Now, before I get into talking about some of the amazing feedback we got in the last episode, I just want to issue a quick correction. I have been advised that the name of the Daily Dot writer who was attempting to write the article on hockey RPF is actually spelled A-J-A, and it's pronounced Aja. So just to clarify so that people don't message us about it later, uh, it's Aja, not AJ, as Alex said. Now onwards to listener feedback and comments. Uh, We got so many great comments and answers to our questions after the last episode, which is incredible. Uh, Our DreamWidth had a lot of good conversation happening, so if you haven't checked out yet, you can find it at otpodcast.dreamwidth.org. The first question we asked related to whether or not people ever felt as though their headcanons interfered with their enjoyment of their favorite story. We got a great response to that question from Shadowkeeper there on the Dreamwidth, and they said, I'm going to quote them, It was interesting to hear how everyone interpreted the meaning of canon, but I feel like one aspect of taking canon as text only was left out. What about when an author or creator explicitly uses subtext or explicit coded language? Not when certain lines can be taken by fans and interpreted to mean X, Y, or Z according to what they want to see, but when an author or creator uses language that is commonly used to refer to certain things that some audiences will see as being explicit text. Uh, This is outside how some people will gloss over certain words, like dark-skinned rue, or don't have the knowledge to realize what was being implied, such as Goldstein being a common Jewish name, and therefore Anthony Goldstein being Jewish in the Harry Potter books without Rowling having to say it. Like how confirmed bachelor used to be the polite society way of meaning gay, or whatever period-appropriate terms were used at the time. The actual objective words themselves didn't outright explicitly mean dude who prefers other dudes, but some people definitely understood what was meant by the phrase outside the dictionary definition. And there's a list on the toast for words or terms used to mean lesbian in classic films. Some of the list was made up, but others were actually used. The writers weren't allowed to use explicit period appropriate terms for lesbians, Hayes Code, so they used phrases that certain audiences would automatically understand while the censors didn't. Obviously, some audiences who aren't familiar with the coding wouldn't know what's being subtextually communicated, but that doesn't invalidate the line of communication happening between the writers and some of the audience. Uh, I'm going to share that list that they linked to on our Tumblr, because it's interesting, and I want to thank them for that. It's uh, turned into an interesting back and forth about the difference between coding and subtext, and who is able to then decode those types of things. Uh, Thanks to Sand Savvy as well who commented about the ways in which certain headcanons, they specifically bring up, for example, an autistic Julian Bashir headcanon that they had related to Star Trek Deep Space Nine, um, can actually enhance your enjoyment of a story. The second question we posed was whether or not people still read older fic that is non-canon compliant. Uh, The answer there actually seemed to be a resounding yes, with an exclamation point. Uh, We heard from an Anon who still writes Skyward fic, and they shared their thoughts on that with us. Another Anon was kind enough to wreck a Harry Potter fic written pre-book six, which they still adore. Uh, A fan named Sa Sai Lei, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that right, but it's S-A-S-I-L-E. They also posted an interesting comment on how canon non-compliance seems more acceptable in older, long-running fandoms because it's a necessity. Uh, Their comment's a bit long, but they talk a bit about Supernatural and Teen Wolf fandom, and it's worth reading as well. 
Now, here are the questions that we'll be posting this week about RPF if you are interested in joining our conversation about that. Question one, why do you think that RPF is so stigmatized both within and outside of fandom? We touched on a few possible explanations on the show, but I'm sure there are other theories that people have that I'd love to hear. And question two, if you are a fan of Rooster Teeth or other online personalities who have RPF written about them, do you think that the way fans interact with them more closely changes how much or the kind of RPF that is written about them? Obviously, Alex only follows that fandom but isn't in it, so that perspective would be really welcome to have. And finally, we got our first iTunes review, which is just amazing and joyful and happy to me. Uh, and I'm going to read it because it's awesome. And it's from Butterfly underscore Time. And the review says, I have liked the podcast since I first listened to it a few weeks ago, but the last episode was especially good and the discussion extremely relevant. I had a great time listening to this at work and nodding endlessly to approve the interventions of the great guests. I am also an ace that loved erotic fanfiction. There's a term for that in the asexual spectrum, orochorosexual or egosexual. And I'm not sure I pronounced those right. I hope there will be more of this podcast in the future. Uh, BTW, I was also very pleased that you mentioned the sphere of K-pop fanfics and even my favorite K-pop group in the other recent episode reviewing 2015. Uh, so thank you so, so, so much to Butterfly underscore Time for that. Uh, reviewing the show on iTunes helps us spread the word. It helps people find it. So if you have the opportunity to do that, please do. Uh, your review does not have to be as articulate uh, as that one was. It can just be a good job. Um, or an I like this show and a rating, anything helps. Um, so thank you again for that. And as always, you can find us on Tumblr as OT Podcast and AO3 as the underscore OTP. You can also subscribe to our show on iTunes, SoundCloud, TuneIn Radio, or Stitcher. Thanks again to Peter Tchaikovsky for our theme song and logo and to our contributors this week, Lita and Alex. And as always, your kink is not my kink, and that's okay. <laughs>